ordained, and we're going through the book of 1 John. And through this book, we are hearing from a writer who was the last living apostle. This is John the Apostle, the one that was the closest to Jesus. And there's a church. We don't know which church, but he's writing to a church that's going through some difficulties. And as he writes to this church, he kind of counsels them and encourages them and helps them. And so we have been able to learn the lessons that John was writing to this church, even though it was so, so long ago. And uh, we're at the tail end of this book. And it's such a great study. It's such a great book to just kind of dive into and see what God's word has to say. But uh, as we go right into the message this morning, last week I shared that I'm in a little bit of a fall kick, that I just, I enjoy the fall season. How many of you, you enjoy the fall season, right? It's good, isn't it? It's, it's pretty awesome. Uh, there's so many things to do. There's the uh, colors are changing. There is all the pumpkin patches. I took my son on Friday with his school. We had a great time. And uh, we rode the train ride. We got to pick up a pumpkin. And it was just a good time was had by all, right? And uh, uh, there's so many great things to do. But one of the things that I didn't talk about last week when it came to, uh, thanks, uh, to the fall was now we have like Thanksgiving kind of on the horizon. And the fall season, to me, has this thought of home Amen. to it. Yes. That there's this thought of, hey, the holidays are right around the corner. So maybe your house is the house where everybody comes to, and maybe you're the parent, and you've got kids that are away, they're coming to your house, or maybe you're going to somebody's house, but there's this thought of home. Around this time of year, it's kind of neat to just kind of go home. There's nothing like home, right? I mean, home is just everywhere. It's one of those things where when you talk about home, this strikes a deep chord in our soul when you talk about home. It's so deep that even movies talk about home. You say, what do you mean? Come on, E.T., baby. E.T., phone home. What did he want to do? He wanted to get home. Or what about Wizard of Oz? And I didn't think about this until later. Man, click those heels. She just wanted to be home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. She was trying to get home. There's something about home. And then for the geeks out there, the Hobbit series, their whole thing was with the dwarves. They were trying to find a home. And over and over, people are looking for home. There was a movie that I kind of grew up watching in the early 90s, and it was called Homeward Bound. It's about two dogs and, unfortunately, a cat, and uh, they are going to survive the wilderness. I'm not a big cat person. I told you I don't like cats, and uh, uh, there's just something about them. I got these cats that they keep bugging my husky. They, I got a wall in my backyard, and it's a 10-foot retaining wall type thing. And man, they just sit up there. My husky just barks and barks and barks and barks. And those cats just sit there and it just drives me nuts. And so I just, I'm just not a cat person. If that offends you, well, too bad. You know, I'm a dog person. All right. I like dogs. All right. And it's not that I don't like cats. I just can't eat a whole one myself. So, um, but anyway, no, oh yeah. Terrible, terrible. Come on. You eat Chinese food. You've had it too. So, oh, that was too for one. Oh, that was low. That was low. I'll get an email on that one. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I told you. All right. My email address is Wes at SouthridgeSanJose.com. Just send me all the hate emails. That's where they go. All right. Excellent. But we're talking about home and home is this, this, this thought that's there. And yet we're coming toward the end of first John. And I just get this sense as he's writing, he's got this urgency about home. 
a little backstory. John is now late in years. Scholars say he's anywhere between 80 and 90 years old. And so John is at that point where everybody he ministered with, everybody he knew, they're gone. He's the last one. And you know where John is writing this from? An island called Patmos. Now, Patmos was a place where you would put criminals. It was a place that was not beautiful. It was a barren desert wasteland. Many people believe this was just a cave that he wrote this from. And it's this island. And that's where John finds himself. And John is writing these, these last words. And there's this urgency about home. And I think inside of each one of us, there's this desire to be home. Even if you didn't grow up in a good home. Even if maybe right now your home isn't all that you want it to be. Maybe you grew up in a fractured home or you're, you're, you're a product of a fractured home. And, and maybe home doesn't strike that deep chord. But yet there are times when you step into a home and you just, wow, you just feel it. There's a, 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 an artist I, I, I like. He's a little bit dated now, but it's Thomas Kincaid. And the thing about Thomas Kincaid, he could capture home. You just look at his picture and you're just like, that's home. I, I, I may never live in a house like that, that may be all perfect at that fence, that little, that little stream there, or one of those Chris cards, but, but man, if I had a home, that, that's home. And you just kind of capture something deeper, just kind of resonates with you. And so I don't know why churches would always stick a Thomas Kincaid in the restroom. And I, I don't know why. You ever go to that church? You go in, you go in and it's kind of had that, that, that painter of light and it's in the restroom. I don't, I don't know why they want me to be in the restroom. You know, you got this, this, there it is, quiet moments, you know, and it's in the restroom or something, you know. And uh, so, but there's just something about home that just strikes a chord. And maybe you've gone somewhere and you've been with somebody's family and you're with their family. And you're like, wow, your family's so great. And you talk to them, and they're like, our family's nuts. Our family's chaos. And they were like, yeah, but there's, there's something beautiful about the chaos. There's something really genuine and sweet about it. And so John, as he's writing kind of his closing remarks in this book, he's talking about that God has made a home for humanity, that all humanity has a home. And next week, we are going to invite people, and we're going to share with people that God has an eternal home for them, because home strikes a deeper chord for people today. And so let's begin in chapter 5, verse number 1. The Bible says this, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves the one born of the Father. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For whosoever is born of God overcomes the world and the victory that overcomes the world is our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? But the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. If you go through the book of 1 John over and over, you're going to see John use language describing home. And he's going to use specific language describing you and I. He's going to call us dear children, little children, beloved. He's going to use words that evoke emotion. He's drawing us in. And now he's coming to the closing of his writings. And he's speaking of things that really resonate on a deep level. And immediately in verse number one, we see it. He says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And right from the get-go, I love the word whoever. 
because it doesn't put any description. There's no uh, people that can or can't. It's just whoever wants to be born of God. You don't have to be a millionaire. You don't have to be in poverty. It could be anybody. It doesn't matter your skin color. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter what happened to you. It's a whoever. And John is echoing early writings where the Bible says, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him, whoever, all throughout scripture, there's a whoever. Don't let anybody tell you that heaven is just for the elite or the special ones, the ones that do certain things. No, there is a whoever. And John, as he's closing this final chapter, he wants us to remember that. He wants us to know that it's for whoever. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus and your heart and soul is long for home, understand that it's for whoever. Whoever wants to be born again can. Whoever wants to be a part of God's family can. Because whoever believes that Jesus the Christ is born of God, immediately we see that first and foremost, we see that he is talking about the family born of God. Amen. Uh, when we brought Cain, our newest, who's about eight months old, home. We brought Cain home, and we introduced him to his family. He has some brothers, brother, and he has a sister. All of a sudden, my wife looked up like, he does? Like, something I, something I don't know about? And uh, pray for me, y'all. And, uh, no, just kidding. We got to talk about it. No. And uh, so it's, it's one of those where I brought him home and we introduced him to his family. That Cain has a brother. Cain has a sister. Cain has a father and a mother. And so God, here he's saying, hey, you have a family. He says, whoever believes that Jesus the Christ is born of God and everyone who loves the father, there's a father in this family, loves the one born of the father so in this family he says hey in this family we have a father and those that are born in this family we're going to love other family members now when i think of family all of a sudden sorry with the pop culture references but i think of dominic toretto <laughs> you say why any fast and furious fans in the house oh there's always a couple crazy people in the house there we go at the i've, I've seen like two of them and i think they're working on like 15 or something. There's so many out there to keep up with. But the end of each movie, the end of each movie, what do they do? They all stop. The movie, no matter what battles they faced, no matter how many cars they blew up, no matter how big the multi-million dollar Hollywood budget was, at the end, they sit at a little table. At the end, they have a meal. At the end, they hold hands, they pray. And there's Dominic Toretto, whole family. There's Vin Diesel. All tatted up, all muscled out, roided out, whatever. It's all fake. CGI muscles, that's not real. It's not real. And all of a sudden, there he is. And he's got his family. God wants you to be a part of his family. He wants you to gather with the family. Our church is a family. Every family's got its quirks and it's got its things that you're like, oh, yep, that's my family. What do you do? It's just, it's family, you know? And uh, I, I laugh at what my brothers do and they laugh about what I do. And there's just goofy things that happen. And, and, and you've got the oddball. You've got the one who tries too hard. You've got the one who's Mr. or Miss Cool. And you've just got these dynamics in the family, but it's what makes up the family. And so we are going to be inviting people to not just join our church family, to join the larger family, God's family. And when it comes to God's family, God isn't saying, hey, I'm just looking for select children. God is saying, no, no, no. I want to draw all. 
Because there's always room at God's table and in God's house for more family. Growing up, I grew up in a home that was real big on having people over for Thanksgiving. We would leave college and whoever didn't have a place to go for Thanksgiving, they would go to our house. I I tell you, for over 10 years, we would have dozens and dozens of college students who would go to our house for Thanksgiving. I can't tell you how many college students my mom would feed. And the other Thanksgiving, I was talking to her, I was like, don't you miss those Thanksgiving where we bring all the college students? She's like, are you kidding me? You guys would bring 20 and 30 college students. I kid you not, 20 to 30 college students, whoever just didn't have a home, they got to be a part of our family for the weekend. And every Thanksgiving, it was just like a big old caravan leaving Lancaster, headed into the awesome metropolis and utopia of what is Fresno. And we'd pull into Fresno, and there we would, you laugh, I love Fresno. And uh, we'd pull in, and we'd have a great Thanksgiving weekend, and they would be a part of our family for the weekend. One of the great things about family is that it gives you an identity, doesn't it? Today, there's a lot of people with no identity. In this passage, he says, whoever uh, uh, believes that Jesus is the son of God is born of God. And this means we're invited into that family. We're a part of that family. And with that family, there's an identity. I have a last name. I didn't start it. I grew up for a while thinking that you had to pick a last name. Then my family, my dad was like, no, 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 you get my last name. It's yours. And Ermler, Micaiah Ermler, it's like two bad names like together. It's just like, I'm cursed, you know? I mean, I could couldn't spell it till I was like 19, you know, couldn't even spell my own name, you know, and uh, uh, it's just like, wow, there's such hard names put together. I was like, why couldn't it be easy, you know, like Craig, it's just so easy, you know, just like, man, you just think of these last names, but I inherited a last name. Why? Because I'm part of the family. You see, there's a sense of identity that comes with family. When we join God's family, there's an identity. We're no longer searching for our identity. We now have his identity. And so we have his image. The Bible calls it in Latin, the Imago Dei. It's that image bearers of God. It started in Genesis chapter number three, and it carries down for everyone who receives Jesus Christ now is born of God. The Bible says it like this, that he created us after his image image. And I've said this before, Jesus held up a coin and says, render unto Caesars what is Caesars and render unto God what is God's. And he looked at the image, which was icon, which was inscription. And he said, this is Caesars. But then he says, render to God what is God's. The coin had Caesars image. You have God's image impressed onto you. And so we've got to give ourselves back to God. We're his, we're a part of his family. There comes an identity, but along with identity, there comes security, doesn't there? People often ask me, Pastor, can people lose their salvation? Can I lose my salvation? Will, will, will God reject me? And I say, that's the wrong question. You're, you're approaching the question the wrong way. It's not, can you lose your salvation? It's, can God lose one of his children? Amen. The God that says when the psalmist wrote, if I take the wings of the morning, behold, thou art there. If I ascend in the depths of hell, behold, even there thou art. Wherever I go, where can I flee from your presence? Because thou art with me. You can't ever lose your salvation because God says, I'm there. I did not lose you. God says, nobody can take you out of my hand. Once you're in the Father's hand, you're there. One old preacher said it like this, and he got that southern twang, and he says, God's grip don't slip. Amen. Bless God. You see, God says, once we're in the palm of his hand who can take us out and also if we could lose eternal life then it wasn't eternal was it 
You see, there's a security in knowing that we are saved, that we're born of this family. You see, salvation, it's final and it's free. I'm a child of God by love, not luck or good looks. I'm a child of God because he loved me. In chapter 4, we notice that in verse number 8, the Bible says that he that love loves not knows not God, for God is love. Today, there's a lot of people that would fill in that third word differently. They would say, God is blank, and they maybe say, absent, angry, disappointing, hateful, vengeful. How do you fill in that third word? God is what? You see, God says he is love. And with that love comes security that God says, my love is pursuing you. My love went after you. It's God's love that he wants us. But not only do we see that we have an identity in this family, not only do we see we have security, but we have community in this family. You belong. You belong. We say it around here. If you're the right kind of crazy, you're welcome at Southridge. You just have to be a little crazy. We, have, we just have a little ounce of crazy at this church. You just have to have a little bit of crazy in you because we're crazy. We're the right kind of crazy. We're hungry for what greater things that God has. We believe for bigger things. We believe with big steps of faith. We take bold leaps of faith. We go after things that honestly are way out of our reach just because we believe we serve a great God. So we pray bold prayers. We take big steps because we know we're in this family and we know that there's this community and we belong. You see, our position in the family is unconditional and it's irrevocable. Nobody could kick us out of this family. Nobody can. You see, we're a part of the family of God. What a blessing that is to know that we're no longer the outsider. No longer the outsider that's looking in on a family that we wish we could be a part of. No longer are we looking at the Thomas Kincaid photo. And no longer are we looking at this painting thinking, man, I wish that was me. I wish that I had such a family. Because now we can step back and we can say, based on the authority of God's word in 1 John 5, verse 1, that whoever believes in the Son is born of God. We're a part of this family. We have this community. We belong. Touch your neighbor and say, you belong. You belong. You belong. There's this deep sense where we want to belong. Everybody has a need and desire to belong. Belonging runs deep in the heart of every human being. We desire to belong. We have this need to belong. But in this family, I love how he ends that verse number one. He says that who loves the father loves the one born of the father. Who loves the father loves the one born of the father. Have you ever had a family member that was hard to love? Everybody nod your head. Otherwise, you're a liar. All right? So we've all had that family member who at times was hard to love. But guess what? God says because we've received love, we can now give love. So I like to say it like this. Loved people love people. Right? Love people love people. Touch your neighbor. Wake them up. Say, love people love people. You see, next week, we're inviting people to our church, not just so that they can be a part of the family, but so that we, as loved people, can love people. We want people to know that we're a church that loves the city, loves the community, loves our neighbor, loves the lost, loves the poor, loves the broken, loves the hurting, loves those who are down, loves those who are up, loves the rich, loves the poor, loves people. We love people. (laughs) 
one of the people that came to our family one Thanksgiving. My wife looked up yesterday morning as we were just preparing for our day, and she said, this person who's your age just passed away suddenly. It's like, wow. And it hurts when somebody in the family goes. And John is riding with a heaviness. He's riding with a heart that wants home. But guess what? He wants you to want home. He doesn't just want it. He wants you to want it. He wants you to want heaven. And to me, every time I hear of a friend or a loved one who passes on, you know what I say to myself? Heaven just got sweeter. Because that person just made it a little bit better. Made me want to be there a little bit more. Because I'm going to see my loved ones. I'll see my family. I'll see my brother who didn't quite make it all the way. Who died prematurely. I'll see him. Those loved ones that are gone on. Family is near. Family is real. And God is inviting people in a family. Not only family. We have this part where he talks about the father. And he says this. He says we've got a father in this family. And this father. It's so wonderful when we talk about this. Because we're born of God. And God is our father. Which makes Jesus our big brother. You ever grown up in a family as an older child? Or maybe you didn't. You had a bunch of sisters. Man you just wanted an older brother. Guess what? I don't mean to, to bring Jesus down at all, and I don't think he thinks I am. But if God's my father, Jesus is my big brother, and he's your big brother. We're a part of the family of God. And so in this family, we have a father, and God is our father, and God loves us, and God cares about us. Even when we make mistakes, even when we mess up, there is our father. There's a great passage in Luke chapter 15. It's entitled, The Parable of the Prodigal Son. In the passage, there's a son who comes to his father, and he has a good father, and he says to his father, Father, give me my inheritance now. In Jewish culture and custom, you were to wait till the passing of the father. So when the son says to the father, give me my inheritance now, in essence, he's saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. I just want your money. That's what he was saying. Some of you are like, that kind of sounds like my teenager. (laughs) Kind of does. I feel this father's pain. And so this father, being a good father, gives his son, gives him half of his wealth and says, there you go. And the Bible says that his son went into a far country. He didn't want to stay in the same town. He didn't want to stay in the same country. He said, I got to go to a far country. He said, I'm going to shake the dust off of my boots of this old dusty town. I got to go somewhere far away from my family. So he goes far away. And the Bible says that he spends all his money and he lives it wastefully, wastefully, wastes all of his father's money. The Bible says that this prodigal son was so broke and was so poor, and then a famine came. So he finds a farmer, and this boy goes to the farmer and says, Farmer, I need a job, and the the farmer says, I barely have enough food to feed my servants, but you can go feed my pigs, and whatever they don't eat, you can have. Here's a Jewish boy. One of the lowest things for a Jewish boy is to do anything with pigs, anything with pork. So here, Jesus is teaching the story to everybody who's listening is now really engaged. And they're just thinking, wow, this is crazy. But you've got to understand the Pharisees. They're thinking, good riddance. That's what that boy deserves. Sometimes Christians can do that to other people. Ah, that person lost their job. Well, good riddance. They were very nice anyway. That person's relationship fell apart. Well, they had problems. 
we can do the same. We're all guilty. And the Bible even goes on to say that when the father each day would look for the son, and one day he looked down that same road, and there was the, uh, the, the silhouette of his son, and immediately he knew his son. And Scripture says the father got up, and he runs to the son. And we see it as this, this passage of Scripture. We see this father running to the son. We think that's great. That is God running to us, running to our rescue, running to him. But it's actually not what it is. And that culture and that custom, based on what that son had done, he was guilty of being stoned to death at the city gates. So if the father didn't get there in time, the city leaders, the city fathers could kill his own son. So the father was running to his rescue to save his life once again. And that's what Jesus does. Without our father, without God sending his son to die for us, we have no hope. We have no uh, way of escape from eternal hell. It's only, it's only pain and suffering without him. But there, God, he sent his son. So we have a loving father. In chapter 4, we see that God sent his son. Many would say that Jesus is just a, a good man. Chapter 4, matter of fact, The writer, the apostle John says, don't believe every spirit, but try the spirits. And one of the things that he's saying is there are people that are teaching false truths. There are people that would teach that Jesus is not, in fact, deity, co-equal with God. And that one little word sent, notice God sent his son. The Bible does not say he created his son, then sent him. He sent him. Jesus was created. Jesus was there, eternal, with no beginning and no end. Sometimes there'll be some very nice, kind people. They'll ride little bicycles, white shirts, little black tie, little name tag. They'll come to my door. They'll knock, and I always tell them I'm a pastor, and immediately the conversation gets really short. And I'm like, no, where are you guys going? Let's talk. And they always want to pray. And I was like, wait a second. Don't you believe that Jesus is the half-brother or brother of Lucifer? And then they kind of, oh, you know that? Yeah. Well, which God are we praying to? Because that's not my God. My God is not on the same level as his creation. He is creator, not creation. He's not on the same level with, with Satan. And, and Jesus didn't, wasn't just a good man who ascended into God-like status. He's not somebody who, as Greek mythology would kind of lend us to believe that somebody who was really good and eventually earned his way up to heaven. That's not, that's not our God. That's not our Jesus. You see, God sent his son. His son was already alive. He was well. So next time somebody tries to come to you and says, guess what? That Jesus that you think of, guess what? No, no, he's not all that he's cracked up to be. Yes, Jesus is. He's more than he's cracked up to be. He's everything. Without him, we have nothing. He's the way that we get to the Father. Without Jesus, we can't have no access to the father the bible says in john 14 6 for god so that that jesus said i am the way and the truth the life no man comes to the father but by me you only have access to the father through the son it's not what you know it's who you know and if you don't know jesus you don't know the father this morning do you know the father because if you know jesus then you get access to the father You ever thought about, man, it might be nice to know certain famous people or wealthy people or people that are are well-to-do, and and you think, man, this would just be great, and you kind of get some access. You're like, how can I get access to that person? Jesus is like, I'm your access. I'm your pass. I worked at a tech company, and uh, certain buildings, we could restrict certain buildings for certain access. But since I was on the security team, I had 
unlimited key card access. I could go anywhere in the building. You might make way more than I make, but my key gets me into more places than your key does because I have access. You know, this morning, some of you think, well, if I do such and such, then I have more access. No. If you have Jesus, you have all the access to God. All the access to God you ever need is more than you can handle. So we see that we're part of this family. We've got a father. But then we see this last part. Notice, if you would, verse number four, we've got to look at this. We're running out of time. But he says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome. For whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And the victory that overcomes the world is our faith. You see, we have a family. And John wants us to know we have a family. And John wants to know we have a father. But then you got to think about John for a second. John endured difficult, dark days. They attempted to martyr John, and he lived. The gruesome details of it was they took a a big uh, boiling kettle of oil, and they were going to try to boil John alive, but he wouldn't die. So imagine them trying to boil you alive and you're not dying. And then the, now the rest of your life, your skin is fully scarred, disfigured, maybe even uh, parts of your fingers and toes now missing for the rest of your life. Walking would be difficult. Grabbing something might be difficult. And so here is John. And we would look at John and we would say, John, how do you survive? John, how do you do it? And John would have one word for us. Faith. See, John's at the end of his life, and it's kind of his parting words to us, faith. The Bible says, for without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's our faith. How is your faith this morning? We talk about faith, don't we? Some will ask, hey, do you have faith? Some will treat faith like it's a good luck charm. You need to have more faith. Or some people would just kind of uh, act like uh, faith is just kind of something reserved for pastors and spiritual leaders or, or your grandma that really knows how to pray. And, and yet faith is an every day. It's something that we need. It's something that I need each and every moment to have that faith to trust God so that he's going to work things out according to his plan and his purpose. To have that faith. See, faith is the way that we, we make it. Faith is the way that we You see, once we were an outsider, but God through faith can take an outsider and turn him into an overcomer. And it's through faith. That's what God does. And that's what he wants for us. He wants those that are outside, those that are looking in, wishing, longing for home. He wants us to come into the family. He wants us to meet the father. And then he says, but right now, until we get home, we're all homeward bound. We all are. Time is passing us by. Some of us, we look back and we think, wow, it's just yesterday. I saw my kids. It's just yesterday and I just got married. It was just yesterday and I started my first job. It was just yesterday when I was graduating high school. And where did the time go? And now we come to the present And John is saying, time is passing us by. And we're now in this life. And in this life, you're going to need faith. We're a part of this family. So now we can overcome. Our faith is what overcomes. Today, even in the worst of circumstances, faith can bring out the best in us. 
too often we let fear stand in the way of our faith. I remember growing up, I lived out in Madera. We had this long driveway. We lived on two acres. So we had a long driveway. And I would have to take out the trash on this long driveway. And you know how kids are. We have all day to take out the trash in the daylight. All day. But of course, we're going to wait till the nighttime. And at night, out in Madera, there's no street lights. This is out in country. And so all of a sudden, that two acres, man, that could have been two miles. And all of a sudden, I didn't have neighbors all that close. And man, I was like, oh, goodness, I got to take this trash. I got to get it all the way down there. But man, you grab the trash and it's like mad dash, right? You've never been so fast. It's like Usain Bolt, look out, buddy. I'm coming with some trash. I don't care if there's any trash left in the can when I get there, but the cans could be there. And bam, I'm bolting back, right? But then just before you get in the door, you catch your breath and you walk in all cool, calm. Yeah, took out the trash. Yeah, it's dark out there. Yeah, there's probably mountain lions. Freddy Krueger's probably out there. Yeah, I punched Freddy Krueger in the face. What? I even saw a red balloon and a little it clown, man. I, pff, nothing. Nothing. Kept going. Didn't stop me. As soon as you walk in the house, it's like, it's all good. I noticed, though, every time I would take out the trash, and if I wouldn't take it out, man, I'd, I'd make mama mad. And here's what I figured out. If you make mama mad, don't do it, because then mama makes daddy mad. Because if mama's mad, then daddy gets mad. But if daddy gets mad, daddy's not allowed to make mama mad. Like, I don't know why it, it doesn't, it's not allowed. To, it's, it, there's, there's like a, a barrier. It's not, dads aren't allowed to make mama mad, all right? So you, you can mess with dad, don't mess with mama. Because mama's going to tell your daddy, all right? And then you got to deal with two. You got to deal with both. Man, you come into that house, and even though you're afraid, you walk in, you're like, oh, it's nothing. You see, faith isn't the absence of fear. It's not. And some of us think, I don't have any faith because I'm afraid. You see, faith acts in the presence of fear. Faith steps out of the boat like Peter, even when the winds and the waves. You see, too often we think that God is going to magically hand us a little faith pill that we can swallow when we need a little faith. That when our children aren't turning out, that I can swallow a little faith and all of a sudden I'll make it through. That when I'm about to step out and start a new job or launch a career or start a relationship, that I can just take a little pill. But God is saying to you this morning that faith is not a pill. Faith is a muscle that you must work out. You've got to work. Some of you are starting to start give and some of you are starting to start serve. And I'm telling you, it's a muscle that you keep working. It's a muscle you keep building. And one day you'll turn around and people will ask you, where did you get such great faith? You are donating finances. You're donating time. And you're giving to your children. You're giving to your neighbors. Where did you get such great faith? You're going to say, I don't know. I just kept taking one step at a time. How did Peter get so far from the boat that he couldn't make it back and he was drowning? You never thought about that, did you? Like, if you're close enough to the boat, hey, uh, Jesus, I got the boat. I'm, I'm good, yo. I'm, I'm good. I'll, I'll grab this boat. But he's too far from the boat. You know what that means? He took a whole lot of steps away from that boat. Mm. We haven't got time to preach that, but that would preach. How many steps are you taking from the boat? A lot of us do this. To the, yeah, God, I'm, I'm on the water. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, 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 I'm relaxed. What's up? What's going on? I'm good. Yeah. When God is like, will you let go? We take some steps. Your faith was going to do it. 
Church, it's our faith that's gonna take San Jose. It's our faith that's gonna get us into that building. It's our faith next week that's gonna see 500 people come. It's our faith that's gonna see people saved. It's our faith that's gonna build the church. It's our faith. It's not our charisma. It's not our talent. It's not our sound equipment. Pray for our sound equipment. And uh, it's, it's, it's not anything that we have. It's our faith. God said with just a grain of faith, just a small little mustard seed, you could say to that mountain, remove yourself, it'll cast in the sea. How's our faith? You see, we're part of the family. We've got a father and we've got the faith to make it through. Let's all stand. I got to close up this service. Kept it longer than I wanted to. But church, we're all on a journey. We're headed home. Maybe some of you, you just started your journey. Your faith journey is just that. It's infestatious. You just received Christ. You just got born again. John, our intern, and I, we were at the train station. We were passing out coffee and donuts to commuters and inviting them to church. And one of the commuters, he, he, as he's getting on the train, he said, I'm born again. I just gave him a thumbs up, man. Everybody else looked around like, what the? And they just, they didn't get it. But he and I, we knew. We knew. Where are you at in your faith journey? Did it just start? Or maybe you're at the end of your faith journey. Maybe you say, by the grace of God, maybe I got 10, 15 more years, 20 years. But you're like John, you're coming to the end of your race. And you're like the aged apostle where he said, keep the faith. Don't let go of your faith. The wind and the waves, the rough times are coming. It's a whole lot of people that their faith was shaken on Monday after they found out what happened. There's a whole lot of people that when wrong things happen, they lose their faith. Let's keep the faith. Touch your neighbor and say, keep the faith. Keep the faith. Don't lose hope. Don't lose sight of Jesus, the cross. Don't lose sight of our Father. Let's pray.